Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. I am Rick Stevens. I am your host. And remember that this is your show. If you've got those questions that you would like to have answered, if you've got a topic you would love to hear about on an upcoming episode, feel free to give me a call at 719-500-8700. You can also email me, rstevens at frsfinancialgroup.com or If you go to our website, frsfinancialgroup.com, click on that Contact Us link. That's going to open up an opportunity for you to send us that question, send us a message about what you want to hear on a future show. We would love to hear from you. Well, folks, we are in the studio once again with my co-host, Andrew Rogers. Andrew, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic. How are you doing, Rick? Uh, You know what? I actually told somebody earlier today, it couldn't be a better day because this weekend the Bears cemented the number one overall pick. The Lions beat the Packers, and what that also meant was the Packers are no longer in the playoffs. That's right. You know, that's, uh, and, and to all of you Packer fans out there who might be listening because you like George once in a while, and he's the Packer fan we randomly have on at times to, to talk about your taxes. Um, Sorry, not if, sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I really need to say I'm sorry yeah. for that. You know, as as the guys that root for uh, Chicago and Detroit in the studio here, it's a good week for us. Absolutely, it's a strange thing to see some hope. Yes, around this. Yes, and uh, you know the the biggest hope I have is that the Bears can trade that number one overall pick, maybe get a couple more picks in the process, and 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 start to build a team around the running back they've got, wearing the number one playing quarterback. Well. Fingers crossed for you. (laughs) Uh, Well, folks, we are here at the beginning of the year seeing all these new pieces, new things, new parts of legislation coming out. And one of those pieces we're going to talk about today, and that's the Secure Act 2.0. Now, now, Mr. Stevens. Uh, uh, yes, Andrew, I see your hand up. Uh, what What exactly is the SECURE Act, let alone now version 2.0? So it's a, it's a beautiful question, beautiful question. The, the original SECURE Act actually passed at the end of 2019, and the, the purpose behind that was getting more people saving for the retirement world. It, mm. it was trying to make some things easier. It also made some changes to existing law regarding things like tax credits to encourage not only you as the individual, but also employers to establish some retirement plans. It gave out some tax credits for that. Um, It it actually allowed, and, and we are seeing more and more companies do this, multiple employers to create a plan, even if the businesses are unrelated. Because it used to be that, uh, say, for example... You had a 
construction company who wanted a 401k plan. Mm -hmm. And you could build a plan that had maybe that construction company and maybe one of their vendors that they use. So maybe they use a separate subcontractor uh, to do the roofing and another subcontractor to do the drywall and that sort of stuff on the inside and, and a third company to put up the garage doors. We could put all of them together and and basically lower their cost of having that plan uh, because to have a 401k plan is typically pretty expensive to operate. It actually allowed that to be able to say you can now have unrelated businesses. Okay. So so we could have had a construction company and a restaurant come together to have a plan together. They, they could be totally, completely unrelated. So it allowed that to happen. Um, it actually changed the number of hours that employees had to work to be able to participate. It used to be that you were expected to have a 1,000 hours in any given year, so you mm-hmm. had to be at least basically half-time. They dropped that down to 500 hours. So folks who were working quarter-time quarter time could then uh, could do that. It pulled out some of those age limits okay. on IRA contributions. It used to be that once you hit age 70 – Regardless of whether or not you were still working, you couldn't contribute to your IRA anymore because you were having to take those required distributions at age 70. Mm. It actually said, nope, as long as you have earned income, you can now continue putting money in. And it also changed when you had to start taking money out. In that that, uh, original SECURE Act, the age for that required distribution went from 70 and a half to 72. Okay. So, it, so it added that out a little bit longer. It also changed some of those, what we would call in the industry, the stretch rules okay. for inheriting an IRA, which used to be, let's say you have a, uh, a an elderly parent who passed away. Maybe they were in their 70s, 80s, 90s. And instead of you as the child in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s receiving that, you could actually say, no, I'm going to disclaim that. I'm going to let my child take that, who might be in their 20s or 30s or could even be a teenager. And that child is going to be able to stretch the IRA uh, dollars over their entire lifetime. Well, Secure Act 1.0, I guess we could call it, the the one from 2019 said, nope, now it's got to be emptied within a 10-year period, regardless of if you as the 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old received it or that 15, 20, 30-year-old received it. It's got to be out in 10 years. So it modified that. Then it also uh, put some provisions in there that that would encourage the employer to allow for annuities inside of the, the retirement program that they offered, which basically would be something to offer a guaranteed lifetime income option inside the retirement plan which didn't exist prior to 2019. And then in 2022, going into effect here just a couple of weeks ago, Secure Secure Act 2.0 changed some of that. Yeah, and this is a lot of good information, and especially, you know, some of those information as far as, you know, employer requirements, things like that, noting that Colorado's now jumping into the 401k game, and uh, there might be some employers looking to, Maybe partner up with some, you know, family businesses in different areas to try and help offset those costs to offer something other than the uh, the state mandate. Yeah, the the state mandate that Colorado Secure Savings Plan um, requires a bunch of work from the employer side, 
Mm-hmm. However, when you've got a an employer-sponsored plan, whether that's something like a 401k or a simple IRA or a SEP, anything that the company sponsors, there's a lot less work involved in that, and not the least of which is on the Colorado plan, the way that we understand it is if you have employees that opt out, they have to opt out every single month over and over and over and over again versus if you just have your employer-sponsored plan, they only have to opt out once. You don't have to keep recertifying the, are you really sure you don't want to be in this? Well, that sounds tedious. Just just a little bit. And, and I've got to imagine that if it's not the employer directly doing this, that, that it's the folks who do the bookkeeping, right, if they have to actually uh, uh, farm that out, if you will, that's going to add hours to what you're paying for your bookkeeping. So prices can theoretically go up because of that. But if you're running your employer-sponsored plan, uh, typically it's it's all wrapped up in that one cost in there together. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of those wonderful things. The biggest key piece, I would tell you, coming out of Secure Act 2.0, is that that age 72 required minimum distribution changed again. And it changed starting this year from age 72 to age 73. So those folks that turned 72 in 2023 who thought they had to start taking that required distribution, now they don't have to. Now they can wait actually until next year when they turn 73. So it gives another year, especially the year that we saw with 2022, a lot of the uh, the pullback in the market, 2023 is going to give them a year to hopefully see some of that growth come back in that portfolio. We don't have to take part of that out as mm-hmm. a requirement this year. All right. And, and even better than that is that within the next 10 years, so by 2033, that required age moves up from 73 all the way to 75. So again, as we kind of go on through the years here, we're going to be able to allow those investments time to to sit, to hopefully grow more in that time frame, and be able to then kind of push off that when you have to start taking it, because well, it's just kind of nice to not have to start taking it at 70 and then 72 and now 73 moving eventually to 74 and 75 yeah and now the the mindset behind doing that is that you know really to allow more time for investments to grow or is it uh, maybe thinking that there's going to be more people in that upper age range in that 70 71 72 working longer, getting that income in, and uh, kind of not needing to rely on those distributions. So it's it's not only those two pieces, it's actually more threefold um, in there. So yes, it is allowing folks to, to let those investments grow a little longer. Uh, we are working longer into those later years. So again, continuing to not have to take out. The other part of that is we're also living longer. Okay. So if we can wait to have to start taking those dollars, there's less likelihood that we run out of them before our time is up, so to speak. Ah. So it's a, it's that opportunity for us to to actually be able to stretch out the length of time that we're able to pull money from our retirement account by kind of pushing off when we have to start taking it. And of course, you know, this being 2.0 is 
recently approved, you know, what is the likelihood is a lot of people, you know, might be in that kind of working class area, you know, really working to build up that 401k and not necessarily hitting those end years that this will be in place come time that, you know, say I would have to pull it out or resist, you know, a lot of stuff for right now, but who knows what the next 10, 20, 30 years is going to have in store. Well, the, the, the wonderful thing about politics and, and the legislative part of that is whatever has gone on right now, if we're not sure we like it, don't worry. It's going to change. And, you know, whether that is Secure Act 2.5, right, because that's only a partial upgrade versus a 3.0, which will be a full upgrade if we're talking in the IT world. Yeah. Um, there was probably be, again, this is the, the RBG, the Rick's best guess, Probably somewhere in the next 10 years, we're going to see a 2.5 or a 3.0 or maybe even a 3 and a 4, so that by the time you and I are hitting that mid-70s world, it might be the 80s when we have to start taking things if we aren't already. Yeah, I mean, we could be on Secure Act, you know, 14 Pro Max at that point, really, you know, having some tailored options. Exactly, exactly. And that, and that's one of those things that, you know, as we see stuff change, Right, as more and more folks are putting money away into their own retirement accounts versus solely relying on things like social security or pensions that have pretty much gone the wayside these days, mm-hmm. I think there are going to be more and more and more changes on down the road. So yeah, who knows who knows what Secure Act version we're gonna be on, whether that's ten years from now, twenty years from now, or thirty years from now. Yeah. So some some interesting things through there. You know, we're, we're going to spend a little time here on today's show continuing to talk about all those different provisions, the changes that are out there. And I'll tell you, some of them are going to be really, really good. Some okay. of these are going to be some very good changes, but there's going to be a little work behind them before they're truly implemented. Folks, if you want to hear more about what's going on, what those ways are that the new SECURE Act impacts you, Stick around through the break. We're going to continue talking about this, and we will be right back. Money affects each of us in different ways. Sometimes it's a source of stress and fear. Sometimes it's a source of comfort and security. Whatever your perspective, it's always good to get a second set of eyes on your finances to help serve as a guide. If you are looking for that guidance, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Well, folks, thanks for sticking around with us through that break. Rick Stevens here in studio with Andrew Rogers. This is Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group. And, Andrew, we're talking Secure Act 2.0 because, hey, everybody loves to talk about legislation. Absolutely. You know, it. it's that time of year. People are back to work in Denver. They say they're back to work they're they're filling seats in dc but i don't yes, know if the yes. work's getting done but yeah, well, at least we depends. have a speaker after a week so uh, true it all depends on what your version uh, of work is when it comes to defining that right yeah so i mean things are getting back up and uh, there are some pieces of legislation you know actually that will have some benefit you know you kind of broke down a little bit earlier what the uh, secure act is there's still a lot of uh 
things to break into. And I know uh, as we were talking during the break, I guess one thing I have to ask, and again, with that kind of everyman position, and we're going to get into this topic big time this go around, is uh, talking about a Roth. So, I mean, just to remind me again, what's the difference between, you know, Roth versus traditional when it comes to 401ks and IRAs? So the the, the first thing that, that I will throw out there is that Roth, anything Roth, is named after Senator Roth from Kansas. God rest his soul. What a wonderful, beautiful man. Okay. Because many years ago, he introduced a bill that gets signed into law that allows us to put money away in a retirement account, pay the taxes on it today as if it were earned income, but not pay taxes on it when we pull the money out. Because prior to that, and this is what we know as our traditional 401k or a traditional IRA or, or basically any sort of other way to put away money in retirement accounts, we, we always slap that traditional word on it. If you have something traditional in the retirement sense, that means you are actually taking the deduction right now. So if you put $5,000 into a 401k, a traditional IRA or a 403b or a 457 or, or even a TSP, and you do it traditionally, that means you put $5,000 in, you can deduct that $5,000 from what your earnings were this year, and you're not getting taxed on those dollars. But when you pull that money out, that money you pull out counts as income. And what happens with income? It gets taxed. So it's a way to you know almost hedge that bet that uh, the taxation now is going to be lower than, say, 40 years down the road when we pull out. Right. So from the Roth side, I can pay those taxes today and not pull it out on the way out. And and just to just to kind of build that little concept in there, uh, again, very, very simple, very easy spreadsheet if you guys ever wanted to create one. All you got to do is go, okay, let's say at a particular age level, I'm putting away X dollars a month, and I always put it on an annual basis, but but I look at it like this. Let's say you're 25, you're you're young, you've got 40 years of work life ahead of you. You're starting to put some dollars away and, and maybe you could put away a hundred bucks a month. Okay. Right? Twelve hundred dollars a year. If you put that away in a traditional program, right? So you're putting it away pre-tax, as some folks will call it, you're going to save about $264 if you're in that 22% tax rate, right? So you're going to save about $264. And over the course of your 40-year working career, you're going to put away enough money to save about $12,000 in your taxes total. But when you're retired, you're going to start pulling money off of this pile that's now 775000 if it's grown at an average of 10% per okay. year. And that's, again, just putting away 100 bucks a month basically for 40 years. I, this is just me as a numbers guy. Okay. Guy who enjoys making simple spreadsheets as a pastime. Yes, yes, definitely a good pastime. I can tell you, uh, you know, what my batting average was in the month of July on fastballs thrown on the inner third of the plate. Kind of a guy. Okay. So I like some of those numbers. Uh, the answer is uh, 385 by the way. If I were to pay that $264 on those on that income and put this into a Roth, so I'm paying the tax today 
rather than in my retirement years, what that ultimately means is the dollars I've put away growing at an average of 10% per year, I've paid $12,120 in tax over my lifetime on $774,000. Now, the math on that says... I now have $774,000 and, you know, assuming I'm not taking it all at once, but I'll spread it out over the years. But just just to say, for argument's sake, I took it out all at once. The $12,000 I paid in taxes is a 1.5% tax rate on those dollars versus if I were just taking it out as income, it could have been a 12% rate based on today, 12% to 22%, part of it maybe at 24%. So I don't know about you, but when I did math back in school, 1.5 was a lot smaller number than 22. Yeah, I'm thinking it probably still is today in in some realm. And that's simply looking at it at a 10% growth rate. So being able to put things away, pay today's rate and not tomorrow's, because it's that rare time when taxes go down and stay down for a long period of time. Uh, you know, we've seen the the top marginal rate back in the 1950s and 60s was in the 90 percentile. We're now in that 39 percent world, but I'm pretty sure none of that's coming down anytime soon. So for a lot of folks, especially younger folks, using that Roth option in there means down the line, I'm not going to have to pay taxes on this big pile of money, even at putting away 100 bucks a year or 100 bucks a, a a month. If I'm able to fully fund and and actually max out, which, by the way, also change the maximum contribution that you can do. Now, if you're under 50, it's $6,500 a year, which is basically $541 a month. If you are 50 or older, it's now $7,500 a year, which is $625 a month. If you were to fully fund that over your entire lifetime and it's growing at that rate, you know, 10% ballpark rate, you've got almost $4 million that would be tax-free once you hit the retirement life. Okay. And I don't know about you, I'd rather pay the taxes on 6500 than on $4 million. Yeah. Just, just throwing it out there. Probably. You know, so that's one of, those, one of those great things, what the Roth in front of anything, whether it's a Roth 401k, Roth IRA, anything with the word Roth in front, Wonderful opportunity to ultimately pay less tax over time. And the beautiful thing that the Secure Act 2.0 did is it has now opened up that Roth opportunity, not just in a 401k, but now into your simple IRA, which is just you know one of those other ways that, that employers have a, a much lower cost sort of program for the employees to be able to put money away. Well, you can now put it away in a Roth version The catch to that is this stuff just went into effect a couple of weeks ago, and the fund companies that sponsor your simple IRAs or your SEP haven't actually figured out how to make that work yet. So there's still still some uh, machinery going on uh, to to try to figure out, okay, can can we add this to current programs that we've got folks in? Do we have to create a new one and have some new paperwork signed? So, So the... The, the details are still coming out on that, but the good news is you are now going to be able to put away Roth contributions through your employer, basically regardless of what kind of a retirement plan they offer. 
Yeah, and I, I assume I know the answer to this, but I have to ask anyway. Of course, of course. Especially knowing that you know some of these are set up and regulated by the government. But why would you do an option that wouldn't be a Roth at this point? Why? I mean, why even offer it? If they're offering Roth to be more and more widely available, why not just then make everything a Roth fill-in-the-blank as opposed to having the whole debate over Roth versus traditional? Is it just so that the government can try and get their hands on some things uh, – post maybe getting higher, not maybe letting people realize that there's that option? Well, some of it actually comes down to the individual themselves, because sometimes we do want to put away pre-tax dollars to drop us out of a particular tax bracket. Okay. Because if I'm sitting right on that border uh, right now for 2023, the the taxable income uh, border, if you will, for for a married couple if you make over $182,000 a year combined, you're in the 32% tax bracket versus being in the 24. Okay. So it might be that in order to stay under that 182 number, I want to put away $10,000, $20,000 a year into my retirement account. That's one way to drop that taxable income to be able to stay under a particular tax bracket. And that's why we would continue to use a a traditional model, whether it's an IRA, a 401k, simple SEP, whatever it might be, is for those current tax planning pieces. But that's also why, as the advisor, I like to work very closely with whomever you've got as your tax person to make sure that we're making those good decisions not only for today, but also for those years down the line as you're going to uh, be be making some of those decisions as to how much money am I taking out, what am I paying Uncle Sam. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of different reasons in there, but, but quite frankly, that general rule of thumb is if you're under 50 and you're not on the cusp of a particular tax bracket change, you're probably best off using a Roth option. Okay. So that's that sort of that general, uh, you know, blanket. This is the general idea, but again, for each individual, your situation is going to be a little bit different. So you know, Andrew's situation is different from TJ's, which is different from mine. So there, there's going to be a piece that that applies to each one of us a little bit differently. But I'm pretty sure we're all under 50. So there's a pretty good chance we all really ought to be putting stuff in raw. Did you almost just channel your inner? Evan, our buddy from the law firm there, were you almost about to uh, hit me with a, it depends? It depends. It really does depend. And yes, I was channeling Evan just a little bit there. Uh, but again, that's one of those things that uh, that, that we want to look at, right? That, that individual situation may be different. However, that general rule of thumb still applies. If you're under 50 and not on the cusp of a new tax bracket, Roth is probably your best option. All right. So the, the fun part about that is as well, because there, there used to be um, 401ks, and even if you were in a Roth portion, you had to take RMDs once you hit the RMD age, Roth or no Roth. Okay. That's another one of those things that the Secure Act 2.0 has totally eliminated, is forcing you to take the non-taxable dollars out. So... If you've got a 401k, you have both Roth and traditional uh, contributions in there. 
When you hit the RMD level, you have to actually take the traditional because Uncle Sam wants his dollars, right? He wants the tax money, but you no longer have to take the non-taxable piece. You can still let that sit, let that continue to grow until you absolutely have to have that. So starting in 2024, no more required distributions on Roth 401ks. Yeah, I was about to say because this uh, you know show seems to be very heavy on acronyms, numbers, that kind of alphabet soup. Again, that RMD yes. that required minimum distribution. Yes, yeah. It uh, you know as somebody who talks a lot, not that you don't in any given day, but as somebody who talks a lot. Sometimes we can get those RMD type things thrown out there just because it's either A, uh, the the jargon for the industry, or B, it's easy to say RMD than it is required minimum distribution. I mean, it's a lot, a lot fewer syllables in yeah. that. So, well, folks, we are up against that next break in today's show. When we come back, we're going to have some fun talking a little bit about your college savings plan and what the change is to that with the new Secure Act. So stick around. We will be right back. Are you worried about what's been going on in the markets and how it has affected your portfolio? Maybe you need a financial checkup. If you have questions about the health of your financial future, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary checkup. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO. Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back to Money Matters presented by FRS Financial. I'm Andrew Rogers along with Rick Stevens. Today we're talking about the Secure Act 2.0. Is that just uh, recently got upgraded by Congress going into effect this year? You know, Rick, before the break, you kind of hit that teaser that not only is it really having to do a lot with our retirement account, that kind of future planning, but also this has some pretty big benefits when it comes to the idea of college savings and well and how that really plays into the whole financial picture. It, it sure does, Andrew. You know, one of the things that uh, we've we've seen out, um, you know, really probably in about the last 25 years uh, or so, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but, but we have seen this rollout of what are called 529 plans. And, okay. and 529 really is just the particular line in the IRS tax code that says this is how you handle these investments for tax purposes. And Section 529 talks about saving for college. So a 529 plan is a plan where you're putting money away, saving for college. Typically, you're going to get, if you're using an in-state 529. So if you're living in Colorado, you're using the Colorado plan. If you are in Kansas, using the Kansas plan. If you're in New Mexico, you're using the New Mexico plan. Mm -hmm. If you're in California, you're using the California plan. Typically, what happens is that dollars that you put in, your state is not going to recognize that as income to you. Again, kind of like a traditional 401k or IRA, they're going to let you deduct from your income those contributions, so you're not going to get taxed on it there. And if you pull out those dollars and use it for what they will call qualified education expenses, you're not going to get taxed on that side either. So it's a way to basically set money aside for college, let it grow, and be able to use it tax-free across the boards. There are some provisions, though, 
right? Typically, you have to have a, a blood relative mm-hmm. uh, or you have to have an adopted child. But that blood relative tree kind of branches out a little bit. So if I've got a 529, I can use it for each of my kids. I can actually use that for myself or my wife. I can use it for my siblings. I can use it for my nieces and nephews. I can also, if if we've got one long enough, I can use it for my grandkids or great grandkids. Okay. So you know some some pretty pretty uh, robust options through there, but there are times when folks may not have the kind of spread in their children like I do, right? Have that twenty two to eight yeah. spread, and and we're planning on using. One five twenty nine for all the kids together, and just changing the beneficiary time after time. Or it could be that maybe maybe you set up individual five twenty nines for each of your kids or or your grandkids, but they didn't use the money. Okay. And and it, what used to happen to that was that yes, they could take those dollars, but then they saw it as income, and they had to take it by a certain age and pay the taxes on it. Secure Act. 2.0 changed what is available. And Secure Act starting in 2024. So again, Secure Act in effect this year, but there are some things that you can't start until next year. Starting in 2024, the beneficiary of a 529, if they have not used the money that's in there, can roll over up to $35,000 of that in their lifetime into a Roth IRA. So if I'm hearing this right, you know, I say I've got 529 for each of the two kids because I don't have that large gap to be able to right. roll and refill like you. You know, it's a lot tighter. So we say one of them gets a scholarship, gets college pretty much paid for. We don't need to use that whole IR, that whole 529. They could automatically then take up to 35000 of that and make that kind of a jump start into our retirement savings. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of those great things that, again, the Secure Act 2.0 has done for us. It's allowed us as, as parents or as grandparents to say, hey, I wanted to put this away for you for college. Or, or even if we have those kids or grandkids that say, you know what, college isn't for me, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to go to college. I'm just going straight to the workforce and, and I'm going to, you know, start working with company X and maybe build some skills and open my own whatever, not going through college whatsoever. We don't have to, as those who were funding it, look at it and go, well, now that that kid doesn't get any benefit because now they have that jumpstart on their retirement savings. So is there any red tape or any kind of qualifications that need to be met to be able to utilize it and do that rollover? So there, there are going to be a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, it has to have been open for 15 years. So if you if you kind of look at this and go, okay, if if kids are are graduating high school in that 18 age range, I had to have started it when they were three in order for at 18 them to decide I'm not going to school and I'm just going to use this in a Roth IRA or. Let's say they get to that, they, they've gone through school and you've got leftover money. They might be in that 22, 23, 24 age range. You had to have basically put it together before they were 8, 9, 10 years old. 
have that money working overtime. Or, and this is the other thing that I will tell folks, maybe you didn't start putting things away until they were 14, 15, 16. They just have to wait until they're in their 30s to actually roll that over. So that's one of those pieces. The other part is the rollover in that is subject to the contribution limit, which means you can only roll under the age of 50 $6,500 per year. Basically, it's going to take you about five to six years to hit that $35,000 limit on being able to roll those pieces over. So there's a length of time that you have to hold the, the 529, and there's also that contribution limit to be allowed to roll that into the Roth IRA. Okay, so it's not like you could just, you know, automatically, you know, either get the degree, get a scholarship, realize, you know, you're not going to use it, and then just turn that lump sum into a Roth the next day. Exactly, exactly. We've got to have a couple of those, a couple of those pieces met, but when it comes down to it, there's there's very little that's going to be better than be, being able to go, you know what, um, Maybe I've worked with my my kids to go, here's the budget you have available out of your college savings. Here are some of those ideas that you can maybe do to uh, to lower your cost of college. And remember, anything you have left in your college account, you can now use to start a retirement account. So maybe maybe uh, a carrot, if you will, for, for some of those potentially college-bound students to to rather than say, hey, mom, I'm going to this particular out-of-state school that's $60,000 a year, maybe to get them to look a little closer to home at a, at a little lower uh, uh, bill for yeah. that. And again, you know, another encouragement, too, for those kids that may realize from an early, you know, age, kind of in that later middle school, high school era, that, you know, that's more of a technical-type trade or, you know, going into a trade, something vocationally, that doesn't need that, you know, four-year degree and not feeling as if they are subject to having to do it just because they have this pot of money allocated for that that uh, before this would have been, you know, almost use it or lose it for some kind of educational form. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there there's no longer that, well, why why won't you pick a college? Because we have this money set aside. Now it can be used for other things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, really great out there for folks, you know, because – Statistically speaking, right, most folks aren't going to finish a four-year degree. Um, and and I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Somewhere in the vicinity of like 25% or less actually finished a four-year degree in the four years anyway. I don't know why we call it a four-year degree anymore. Um, there are folks that will finish early, but the bulk of folks do not ever actually even finish. Oftentimes because they didn't want to go in the first place. Now they don't have to go, but can still get a benefit from that account that was initially set aside to help pay for college. All right. So great, uh, great stuff through there. You know, one of the other things that has been, uh, I don't know if I want to say modified as much as really expanded in there. Um, I know one of those pieces that that Dave Ramsey loves to talk about, and, and really it's true, is that most people don't have a thousand dollars saved up in the event of an emergency yeah right the the the, the emergency fund yeah the, the the water heater goes kaput uh, the furnace goes out you know something that you weren't expecting happens one of the expansions that has been done or the modifications that has been done 
is that if you have a company retirement plan, in particular a 401k, you can now use $1,000 of that as your emergency fund, and, and you're actually not going to, to be penalized for pulling that $1,000 out, where before you used to be penalized for pulling that $1,000 out. Now, you can, again, continue to pull out more than that, but that first $1,000 is a uh, what they call, it's got a financial hardship exemption. So they're not going to go, oh, well, you needed that thousand. We're keeping a hundred of it. You can only get nine hundred, and you still don't have enough money. Yeah. So they they've made that change in there. Um, you can either repay that, put it back in, basically within three years, or if you never repay it, you just give up that opportunity to take any other thousand um, dollar exemptions out of it. For the most part. If I'm taking $1,000 out, I'm probably somebody who has been putting in for a while, so I'm going to continue to put money back in to, to rebuild that 1000 yeah. Hopefully, I don't hit whatever that, that wall was that I needed it immediately. But if I don't have something set up as my own outside savings account, and this is something that's coming out you know, basically automatic in my world, I don't think about it every month because I don't see it in the paycheck to begin with, it's a good way to start having that $1,000 being able to be set aside. You don't want to tap into it, if at all possible, even without the penalty side of it. You don't want to tap into it, but it's now going to be there penalty-free if you have to have it. Well, that's a, that's a good benefit to have. And is that specific to just Roth, or is it really any type of savings account or retirement savings account? So so it's available right now. The The language is that it's available in the 401k or the IRA. Um, the, the language doesn't necessarily say anything about the TSP or a 403b or a 457 or a simple or a SEP. It, it specifically targets 401k and IRA, which are generally pretty easy to get set up, uh, whether whether that's from the employer side and, and pulling stuff out of your check uh, before it comes to you, or you know maybe maybe you funded an IRA you know five six seven years ago because you had a thousand dollars then, and over time it's grown. But you know what? I never built a a fund in that meantime for any of those emergencies. Well, now I can tap into this and and get that thousand dollars and not have to pay a penalty. Yeah, on it. and you mentioned you know, also having that you know hardship exemption. So what what would you need to do as far as proving that hardship to be able to take advantage of this and really not have any penalties coming out of there? Well, you know the the crazy part of that is like most pieces of legislation, they haven't given us the specifics. This is a hardship. This is not okay. a hardship. However, like other things, you know, you're going to eventually have to prove it. Well, this is a, I checked the box. It's a hardship. You send it to me. And then down the line, the, the, the tax guy comes back to say, okay, knock on the door. I'm here from the IRS. Prove that that was a hardship so that you don't pay taxes on it this year. Yeah. So it's not, you know, something that people could say, oh, my hardship is 
I don't like winter and want to escape the Colorado cold and go somewhere warm for a little bit. Exactly, exactly. The the hardship, believe it or not, is not snow. Uh, okay. Snow is not a hardship. Folks, we are up against that final break in today's show. When we come back, we will wrap things up by talking about a few more pieces of that Secure Act 2.0 and what they mean in your world. So stick around. We will be right back. Does stock market volatility have you wondering which way is up? Do the talking heads and doomsayers have you wondering if this really is the end? If you want straight answers from an advisor who isn't just trying to sell you something, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment today. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Folks, welcome back in to Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group. Rick Stevens here in studio with Andrew Rogers. And today, Andrew, I hope so far we've made it a little bit more interesting because we're talking legislation, but it's legislation that deals with your dollars and your retirement years and saving for kids college and, and all that sort of stuff. So I hope it's not been too boring. Yeah, and it's definitely, you know, something that it is kind of getting a little bit in the weeds, kind of a little, you know, micro tour of the sausage factory. But this is actually having some real tangible benefits to a lot of people, especially when it comes to that saving and planning for uh, down the road. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those modifications that, that we have seen the federal government make, and they've made... You know, a couple in the last several years, right? We go back to the original Secure Act from 2019, made a, a number of changes, uh, most of which we have seen in this uh, the last three years, basically 2020, 21, and 22. As a result, have been really good. Mm-hmm. There were some things that that either didn't get done in the uh, Secure Act the first time around, or over the last few years we've been able to look at and go it would be better if so secure act 2.0 makes some of those changes for us and yes as it continues to get implemented we're going to see whether or not they're really good or only kind of good or maybe need tweaked again but it's difficult at this point to look at it and say any of these are are bad things going on yeah well and hopefully too a lot of this will survive you know once the Secure Act becomes 2.5 or 3.0, 4.0, things like that as well. Because we know it just as uh, the sun will rise and set, the Congress will probably end up changing this a few more times. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to change. Uh, that's the only thing we can guarantee, uh, especially with uh, laws, whether that's at the state, uh, the federal level, even locally. The only thing we can guarantee about that is they are going to change at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the one of the really nice things with uh, what Secure Act 2.0 has done is, you know, if there was a year, and typically with folks, it's it's typically the first year of that required distribution, uh, things may get forgotten about. You may have forgotten to, uh, hey, guess what? I turned 70 and a half or I turned 72 on December 30th, and I've got to take that required distribution in the next 22 hours or whatever it is or else i'm going to get penalized and and there used to be a massive penalty uh on not taking that required distribution in time it used to be 50 percent 
So if your required distribution in any given year was, say, five, $8,000, $10,000, whatever, and you missed it that year, you had to pay half of that, the $2,500 or the $4,000 or the $5,000 or whatever as an excise tax is what they called it. But ultimately, it's a penalty for not mm-hmm. taking your money out in time, which kind of weighs on a lot of shoulders very heavily of, oh, my goodness, I've got to make sure this happens Otherwise, it's going to cost me a huge chunk of money. And Secure Act 2.0 actually helps to reduce that considerably. Uh, one of the things that it does is if you have missed a, a an RMD, a required minimum distribution, if you've missed it, instead of 50%, it's now 25 Because it's the government. They really want you to take out your dollars. However... For example, if you missed that previous year's required distribution, but you correct it before you file your taxes, it's now down to 10%. Okay. So there are some, oh my goodness, I forgot, I didn't get this done. And and as the taxpayer, it is on us individually to make sure that we have that required distribution taken so it's not on a fund company, it's not on an advisor, it's not on an employer, it's on us as the taxpayer to make sure we get it. If you forgot to get it done, or if you didn't get the paperwork signed and back in time or whatever, you can still get a much smaller, uh, we'll call it a slap on the wrist, even though you know if I had to take a $5,000 distribution... I only have to pay 10%. 500 bucks is still 500 bucks, but it's better than 2500 yeah. at that point. Well, and and you know again, this might be more of a process question, but when it comes to those required minimum distributions, is that something that could be set up kind of automatically like almost a, an automatic deposit or is it something that you do have to request every time to make sure that you're doing it? I'm going to channel Evan again. <sighs> And give you the it depends, but but there's a reason that it depends. Okay. If you only have one account that is a retirement account, mm-hmm. you could set that up to automatically pull out that required distribution. You could set it up to be done January 1st because it's always based on what the value of the account was at the end of the previous year. However, and I have some clients that, that are in this boat, if you have multiple accounts... So I might have a 401k and an IRA in another place, and and then I set up this other IRA somewhere else, and I've got multiple retirement accounts. I've got to figure out what my total is going to be among the three of them, and sometimes you just pull it out that total out of one and leave the other two alone. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do something like that, that's where you've got to go through that process each and every year. But if you've only got one account or you're taking specifically out of each of your two or three or five or however many retirement accounts you've got, you can set all of that stuff up to be automatic. It just it, it all depends on how you're planning, where you're trying to take the money from, and, and how you want to get that together. So, in, again, those required minimums, and this might sound kind of a stupid question, but uh, it's based off of the total cumulative pot you have, not what it's in each individual account. Correct. Correct. So if you had 10,000 in one and 20,000 in another and 50,000 in one, 
it's based on the 80,000 total that you have. Okay. Not the 10 and one, the 20 and another, and the 50 and the third. All right. So, and again, you can take that, you can take that as a little piece of each one, or you could take it all out of just one of them. Okay. So, depends on uh, a lot of different things, something you definitely want to talk with uh, your advisor about as to what makes the most sense, both the financial advisor and the tax advisor on that. Always great to bring uh, bring those folks together to get multiple perspectives because we've got the investment side of it, but we've also got the tax side. Okay. So... Love, uh, love the fact that that RMD, that required minimum distribution, the tax for missing that has been considerably lowered. All right. So when we're talking, you know, Secure Act 2.0, we've talked about a lot of benefits. What are some other big things that uh, are coming in there that people may not realize would be a big benefit to them as we are kind of rounding uh, the last little bit of the show here? So you know, one of the one of the really cool things that that has been around for a while is called the savers credit and and secure act 2.0 modified that retirement savings contributions credit which is actually the big long name we just call it the savers credit it modified that in such a way to to allow folks who are with uh, what you would call a low or a moderate income to actually put money into a retirement account, whether it is a traditional or a Roth, mm-hmm. and still actually get tax credit for that. Uh, the government actually allows up to 50% up to $2,000. So basically, you put away 2000 they give you a $1,000 credit um, towards your taxes to, to help encourage folks to, hey, put something away, even if you have pretty low income, we're going to look at that and say, are you 18? Are you not claimed as a dependent for somebody else? And are you not a student? Because if you fit those criteria, you can actually get the savers credit. And and yeah, there are some income limits um, on that. You know, if you're, if you're making in that, uh, you know, even the low to, to mid six figure world, they're not going to encourage you to save. They think you already have enough to be able to save. But for the bulk of folks, right? Because if you look across the country, the median income is $60,000, which means half of folks make less than that. Those are the folks that they're trying to encourage. And by saying, hey, you put away $1,000 or $2,000 into your own retirement account. We're actually going to give you 50% of that as a credit towards your taxes. It's not going to be refundable, but we're going to pretend that you already paid that much in taxes. Wow. So it's it's one of those things where, where they basically come out to say, thank you for putting those dollars away. And here's that, here's that crazy part, because again, this is one of those things and, and why, uh, why the government would do something like that. If, let's say, you're 25 years old, you actually meet the criteria to be able to put those dollars away, and you put away that $2,000 a year, and you've got it in there for, you know, uh, let's say, let's say, uh, I don't know, 40 years. Okay. 40 years sounds good, right? Start at 25. Uh, I, I work till 65. And let's say again, just for example, again, purely for the illustrative purposes, I'm going to get that that average of 
10% per year. Well, if I'm putting away 2000 bucks ballparkish again, ballpark we're we're working in that world mm-hmm. and I'm getting that 10% year over year over year after 40 years. After 40 years, I have 1.1 million dollars that I have set aside for potentially my retirement which means I don't have to rely on Social Security quite so heavily. And is it just as much that to kind of put that uh, burden off of Social Security, or is it also kind of the government hedging that bet of, hey, I can use these tax credits and, you know, really benefit that way to get the bigger tax payout down the road and almost looking at them as far as making that investment with you so they get, you know, their comeuppance as well. So, so there's a piece that I'm sure somewhere along the line was, hey, we're gonna we're gonna get that back on the on the back end of this, but they do allow that credit even if you make Roth contributions. Okay. So it's even if you make that Roth contribution, you can get a savers credit today, just because you've met certain income thresholds. So what you're saying is, is that this is actually something that it's making you know less of a barrier and you know even fewer excuses to really set something up even if it is a bare minimum to make sure that you are thinking about the future. Exactly. Exactly. And especially for those folks that aren't making this, you know, massive boatload of money out through there, it's being able to go, okay, what can I put away? What can I what can I feel comfortable with putting away that I'm actually going to get some a some support from the tax side of it and and b I might not even have to pay taxes on the back end. I could actually end up with a double credit, if you if you will, in that uh, in that category. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of the uh, the many things uh, out there that that are part of that new Secure Act. Now, again, number of different things in there. One of the things we did not get to. Uh, in in today's show was this idea that there's a student loan matching program so that if you make a student loan payment, uh, that payment actually gets treated as if you were putting money into your retirement account. So again, we're going to get some tax credit uh, along those lines. A lot more stuff that uh, really comes out through here with the new SECURE Act. Um, And if folks want to figure out what does it mean, feel free to have them call. Right, 719-500-8700. That's how you get to me. Uh, I think I'm number three or number four on that uh, phone tree when you get called into the office there. Happy to just sit down and go over what does Secure Act 2.0 mean to me. Yeah, and what you could do to really kind of adjust what you might have already in place to really take advantage of some of these new changes. Exactly, exactly. And there are all kinds of different things that uh, we can do in going through that process. Uh, Folks, that's all the time we've got on this episode of Money Matters. We will be back again next week, continuing to talk about your money because your money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 